for he's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Let's put it in F, and we'll speed it up here a little bit. Let's sing that song, Thank God I Am Free. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah. His wonderful grace I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out And show me the way For a long time I traveled Down a long lonely road My heart was so heavy in sin I sank low Then I heard about Jesus What a wonderful hour I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out Through His saving power So thank God I am been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He could bring me out and show me the way. 
like a boot out of prison that's taken its life like a blind man that God gave back his sight like a poor wretched found fortune and fame I'm so glad that I found out he could bring me out to his holy name and thank God I am free 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 from this world of sin been washed in the Bring me out and show me the way. Oh, come on now, one more time. And thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been Glad that I found out he could bring me out and show me the way. And let's sing that song, uh, When the Redeemed. Oh, when the redeemed are gathering in, washed like I will shout, I will sing, when the redeemed are gathering in. And I am thinking of the rapture and our blessed home on high. When the redeemed are gathering in, I will raise the heavenly anthem in that city in the sky. When the redeemed are gathering in, and when the redeemed are gathering in, washed like snow and free from all sin, I will shout, I will sing. When the redeemed are gathering in. Will be a great procession over on the streets of gold when the redeemed are gathering in. Oh, what music, oh, what singing, or oh, the city will be rolled when the redeemed are gathering in. And when the redeemed are gathering in, washed like. And breathe all 
are gathering in. Our saints will sing redemption story with their voices clear and strong. When the redeemed are gathering in, then the angels all and listen for they cannot join that song. When the redeemed are gathering in, oh, when the redeemed are gathering in, then wash like snow every Shout and how we'll sing when the redeemed are gathering in. And then the Savior will give orders to prepare the bank of war when the redeemed are gathering in. And we'll hear his invitation come, ye blessed of the Lord. When the redeemed are gathering in, and when the redeemed are gathering in, washed like snow and free from all sin, how will I shout, how will I sing? When the redeemed are gathering in, one more time. And when the redeemed are gathering in, washed like snow and free from all sin, how we'll share and how we'll sing when the redeemed are gathering in. Amen. Let's sing that song, I Can't Feel at Home. For this world is not my home I'm just a passing through My treasures are laid up Somewhere beyond the blue The angels beckon me From heaven's open door And I can't feel at home In this world anymore And oh Lord you know I have no friend like you if heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. Feel at home in this world anymore. Now they're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. I fix it up with Jesus many years ago. I know you'll see me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven. At home in this world anymore. Now, just over in the glory land, we live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. The songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't 
glory to God, he set me free. Goodbye to sin and things that confound, and not of this world shall turn me around. And daily I'm working, I'm praying to glory to God, I'm going through and me free as he set me free he broke the bonds of prison for me and i'm glory found my jesus to see and glory to god he set me free yes he set me free yes he set me free he broke the bonds of prison for me and I'm glory found my Jesus to see. Oh, glory to God, He set me free. Amen. Just praise Him this morning. And we'll go ahead and change the order of our service here and go ahead and take our needs to the Lord. Um, before we do that, let's sing that song, um, It Will Never Lose Its Power. For it reaches to the highest mountain, and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength. to go ahead and come forward for the tithes and offering at the end of this as well. We just want to remember the Irish family who is away in Florida visiting family. We just want to remember them that they uh, would have safe travels. Uh, If you would just remember my dad who is away working uh, this weekend. Just remember him in prayer. I also have here to just uh, continue to remember Brother Andy Irish's mother. If we could just remember her. I also have here that uh, Sister Carrie Whitlock is not feeling well and is at home. And also, if we could just remember Sister Hannah Whitlock, who this week is getting her wisdom teeth out. So if we could just remember her. I also have here uh, a 
a request to uh, please pray for Brother Joel Johnson. Uh, he really needs a touch in his body from the Lord. So if we could just remember that prayer request. I know we all have a lot of needs in our life, so just by the raising of your hand for any unspoken prayer requests. And at this time, if I could have uh, Brother Chris Playbill come forward, if you would just stand with me and ushers, if you would just go ahead and come forward as well. And just by way of remembrance also, please remember my wife, Keisha, and my daughter, Alora. They're both at home, not feeling well. Let's take these needs before the Lord. Dear Jesus, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to come to your house, Lord, to hear your word, to draw a little bit closer to you, Lord. Lord, as we're all standing here this morning, I just ask that you would help each one of us to lay every weight down, anything that would come between you and us, Lord, that would hinder your word. Lord, please be with the minister as he comes and brings the word. Speak to our hearts, Father. Be with the remainder of the song service. Lord, our desire in coming is that in being here, and that we would all draw a little bit closer to you. Please grant it, Lord, according to your will. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And ushers, uh, Brother Mike, I'll have you pray over the tithes and offering real quick as well. sing that song I sing praises to your name and we'll just worship him for a little bit I don't have any uh, special uh, specials this evening or this morning actually so we'll just worship him for a little bit this morning before brother Barry comes we sing praises to your name oh Lord praises to Oh, Lord, 
praises to your name. You are my all in all. 
As we begin this morning, let's have a word of prayer. We want to join our hearts together now and just ask that God would uh, move on the scene and take complete control of what happens here and all the requests that have been given this morning. Heavenly Father, as we pray in your name, we know, Lord, that there are many requests and many things, Lord, many petitions that your people have upon their hearts that are not always spoken out loud. But, Lord, you know all about them, those that are here, those that are listening today, those that are on our hearts. We commit them all. We bind them all together and bring them to your throne. Father God, we pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would just minister through me today, Lord, to the hearts of your people, not just to our minds, but to our hearts, that we might leave here and say it's been good for us to be in the house of the Lord. Father, we know you delight in the praises of your people. Lord, it's a great and wonderful thing for us to be in your presence today. Lord, may we never, ever take that for granted. But Lord, we just ask that you would just be pleased with our worship, our focus, our attention, Lord, and our obedience to the commandments that have been delivered to us so faithfully in this last day. Lord, come, I pray, in the volume of the book now. Do the work that only you can do. And we commend this service into your hands in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Sing another little chorus with me now and sing it with all your heart. And uh, let's just think about whose presence we've come into this morning. Hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to the rock that higher than I. Oh, hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to the rock that is higher In times of trouble, a tower above mine enemies. Lord, I will abide with you forever in the shelter of your wings. For you have been my strength in times of trouble. have you take your Bible while you're standing. Thank you, musicians, and we'll have you turn in the scripture. We're going to read one verse, but I want you to keep your Bible handy. Psalm 11, we'll read there first of all. Psalm the 11th or the 11th Psalm, however you like to say that. And we welcome all of you here today. Good to have uh, the Bilers here uh, today and Uh, Good to have 
each and every one of you here. Good to have the Florians back. Good to have the Ivies back. Uh, it's good to have Rachel and Ben back. Good to have the Walters back. Uh, it's good to have the James family here from Florida, right? Navarre, Florida. Good to have your pastors away, right? Pastors away, that's when you go. And uh, we are glad to have you today, John and Ashley and all the family. We uh, welcome you this morning and uh, each and every one. May the Lord richly bless you. Psalm 11, and let's just read one verse. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let's read it together. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. July 3rd, Anna Pritchard's birthday, Peter Coffey's birthday. God bless them both. Good to have Rachel uh, with us here this morning. Didn't see her uh, today. July 6th is Danielle Swafford's uh, birthday. Sister Danielle's not here today, uh, and uh, they asked to be remembered in prayer as well. And Isaac Clayville. Where's Isaac today? Traveling. Traveling. God bless Isaac. How old is Isaac? Four. Isaac's a special guy. July 7th is Haven Pritchard's uh, birthday. Where is Haven today? Traveling today. Everyone's traveling. July 8th is our anniversary, 37 years. And uh, my wife's outside there, and uh, may the Lord bless her on our anniversary. July 8th, uh, Julian Ivey's birthday as well. And uh, July 9th, Sister Sherry Holly's, and then July 10th is Wakasta Ved. Always uh, need to be able to mention Wakasta's birthday. And uh, I should show you a current picture of Wakasta. I don't have one. I didn't have one with me, but uh, they're probably listening this morning. But when we we first brought uh, Wakasta here before he had the heart surgery, uh, he's about the size of a loaf of bread, and we could uh, I could carry him around the church, and he's just a little guy, four years old. He ain't no loaf of bread now. He's more like the size of a bakery, and uh, just a just a whopper of a young man. And we we appreciate uh, Brother Anwar and the family. Uh, now, maybe I shouldn't use the adjectives that I use. So this is the last day for the subsidized registration for HBT members. Uh, I know that some of you have not registered yet. Uh, you need to. It's not good enough to tell me your brother Keith. You have to get on there and register and put your, uh, uh, your John Hancock in there and uh, take care of that. Tonight that link will go away, okay, and then there will be another link that's there. Uh, which will be the full regular price that everybody pays. So we want you to be mindful of this. When I have a meeting like the men's meeting, um, it's not for everybody else in the world. It's for us. If anybody else in the world wants to come, they're welcome to come. But primarily, I have these things for our brothers here because it gives us an opportunity uh, to have focused attention and ministry, special ministry at a special place. And so take advantage of it because uh, last year proved that we don't always have these opportunities. So take advantage of it and uh, join in. But don't, don't lollygag and leave it. You have until midnight because, again, that link's going to go away. And uh, we, we will have another link that's up there on the website. So let folks know, if you're underage, come and see me, all right? 
afterwards. I can be influenced. So this is, uh, this is the basic information here, and there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of people uh, who are wanting to get in, but we have a limited amount of people who can uh, get in the facility. So we want you to take advantage of that. Uh, I sent out uh, a whole raft of, of uh, pictures and testimonies of things that are happening around the world. And uh, I, I, I don't like to take a whole lot of time on Sunday mornings when we're, uh, you know, trying to focus on the sermon part. Uh, so I put a bunch in the update yesterday so everybody could get them and uh, some of the pictures and, and stories of things that are taking place. There are too many pictures for me to put in an update. There's too many stories and too many testimonies that come to me from all over the world now where people are receiving things. We only had a few from uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, Brother Aaron's been doing a fantastic job of coordinating distribution of materials uh, in, in, uh, in Zimbabwe and coordinating with ministers over there. We, we, this week we uh, purchased English Bibles, Shona Bibles, and a Church Age book showed up in Zimbabwe. The Church Age book in Shona, is also, and that's the language of Shona, is also being printed in India and that's on its way. The English Church Age books arrived. By a day or two after the Bibles were purchased, we ran out of them. And so we, we uh, gave Brother Aaron, we're not giving it to him, but through him, we're able to channel funds to purchase a thousand Shona Bibles uh, for the people. That's unheard of in that country, right? I mean, for where they're going are way out in the outback. These are places where they don't have running water and electricity hardly, let alone a Walmart. And so they have no access to this stuff. And this is revolutionizing, really changing the, the landscape there in terms of people having access to that. I mean, this is, this is just tremendous. And now, you know, we're getting requests now internationally in these countries where brothers are coming across the border and saying, hey, you got books, we don't have books, how come we don't have books, you have Bibles, we don't have Bibles, you know, and, and uh, so we're just trying to keep up with the demand that's there. Uh, I've essentially, I mean, you, you know, you, I, I'm grateful for how God provides, let's put it that way. Uh, but just to give you an example, I've never been to Venezuela. There, have been a, there has been essentially a smuggling operation going into Venezuela over the last several months where they've taken 22 cases of books one at a time into Venezuela because we cannot ship into certain countries. And so they've, they've uh, smuggled, if you, if you like to use that word, uh, these church-age books in Spanish now into Venezuela. And these are some of the believers who have received materials there. Uh, in that particular church. And I, I, my wife's been to Venezuela. I've never been. Uh, it's one, I think it's ranked as one of the top three poorest nations now in the world, despite the uh, rich resources they have in petroleum. And uh, it, it's just uh, incredible how that country has deteriorated. So to get to actually import something into Venezuela is very, very difficult because the amount of corruption and restrictions that they have at the border. But uh, this is, these books are getting in there, and they're just delighted to have this because there have been no books like this printed or delivered in that part of the world now for many, many, many years. And uh, so it is really a blessing to be able to see that. 
So that's what's happening, and uh, I, I just would ask you to just continue to remember uh, remember these folks and the needs that they have. We're just trying to be as fair and equitable as we possibly can in distributing limited resources around the world as best we possibly can. But it's becoming quite a feat to keep up with uh, not only printing out of two nations, but to be able to coordinate all the distribution that goes on. Uh, this week coming up, uh, Brother uh, Mike Holloway is going to take the Wednesday night service. My wife and I are going to be taking a few days away for our anniversary. And then on the following Sunday, uh, Brother um, from South Carolina, Brother Dennis McBride is going to be here and take service on Sunday. So you'll get a little bit of a break from me, and that will be, that'll be probably good. And uh, we'll be back then following... Uh, following that, we're planning another uh, youth event for uh, the month of July as well. All right, everybody ready now to study a little, hear the word? All right. Part of our worship now is to stay focused as possible, much as possible uh, during this part of the time, not just in the singing and all the other things that go on. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to, uh, it's, it's a rare thing that we get uh, July 4th on a Sunday like this, and so I wanted to uh, just reflect on this a little bit here today, and I want you just to stay with me because uh, there'll be some interesting historical things here that, uh, that I think you'll find interesting and relevant in our time, certainly contrasting uh, in our time. Now, we, we have heard uh, over the last little while how that in our culture and in our uh, system, uh, uh, sorry, let me interrupt again and say it's good to have the males back. And uh, been away in Florida. Good to have them uh, back with us today. Uh, we've heard over the last little while how how the history books in our in our country ha- are changing. Uh, they're changing and leaving out or modifying certain events uh, to avoid the discussion about certain events that were very much a part of our history. I think that's a shame. Uh, our 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 history is like like the Bible talks about when when Paul writes. He said these things happened. For our example, things that happen among the children of Israel, things that happen in the Old Testament uh, to people back there are great uh, opportunities for us to learn about how God reacts to things. And when we look at uh, the history of our nation or the history of nations, it's good to know how we got to where we are. And even if things were not 100% correct back then, uh, it's good to see how we've made progress from that back there to where we are today. And uh, it, it is just extraordinary to me how that, uh, how that you know, history is, uh, they're, they're actually rewriting the history to make it say something different or omitting key parts of historical events that took place in our world. But I find what's more interesting as well is that when Brother Branham lived in his time and described things uh, back then and described things that uh, took place and, and he referred to things historically, it's amazing how accurate he actually was and how accurate his statements are today. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And I want to look at a few of those things today. So just bear with me. We're going to take a real corner turn as we get into this this morning here uh, just to see how we go. I'm going to read you two statements here first of all. In 1960, Brother Branham describes America in the rejected king. And he says, now, the Holy Spirit used to be the leader in this nation. And this nation used to be governed when they wrote up the Declaration of Independence, and there was an extra chair sitting there. 
And that one speck of doubt in my mind, but what the Son of God sat at that table when this nation was founded upon the principles of freedom, of religion, freedom to all, and upon the basis of God's eternal word. But we have corrupted that. I was there in the, in the hall in Philadelphia and saw the, uh, the table. Some of the chairs and so forth are all still there. There's three or four articles uh, that are still in that room that were there when they actually signed the declaration uh, in, in, uh, in Philadelphia uh, back in the 1700s. And Brother Branham, uh, you know, he describes how back then uh, the national leaders were a little more sensitive to uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit and de- they had a, an awareness of the de- their dependence on the Holy Spirit back then more than they do now, Right. Now, second statement, here's where Brother Bram describes our country today. This is the same country he's talking about now. And he said, we see the days darkening and the shadows falling. Yesterday was the 4th of July when Jefferson signed the Declaration of Independence and the other board that was with him, the Liberty Bell rang and we declared independence as a nation. And that was 1776 and July 4th. He says, and we see the condition of the time now and the people and the politics and the world, it can't stand. It's got to sink like the Titanic. Now, the Titanic went down with nobody believing that it actually would, right? That's how it went down. It, it went down in denial, not the river, but it went down with people actually denying the fact that it could go down. And one nation, he said, gives room to another as it falls, and this kingdom must fall, and every other kingdom to give room for the kingdom that's coming, which cannot fall. For we receive a kingdom that cannot be moved through this perfect image of God, uh, the, the masterpiece. And so uh, we, we understand the principle here that Brother Bram's talking about, that, uh, that when, whenever uh, God establishes his kingdom, uh, that kingdom will rise in the earth and it'll be established here and it'll be a, a, a kingdom that's established by him and it'll be ruled by the word of God, right? That's how we live in the millennium. We'll live by the word of God. America happens to be the last kingdom that is displaced by this coming kingdom. And so we as a people, as a superpower, uh, you know, it's a little bit difficult for us to sometimes even acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, our kingdom... Uh, will actually pass away, but we're we're witnessing the passing of our uh, of our kingdom. We're witnessing the demise of our kingdom, and I believe that America, in its in its demise, uh, is is looked at a lot like the people who looked at the Titanic. It won't really happen, right? A lot of people bought tickets on the Titanic because they were sure it was a surefire deal that it's not going to go down, no matter what. They guarantee us that it's not going to go down. There's a lot of people today who still believe that America won't go down. But we have a prophet declaring in, a, in the Bible declarations and prophesies uh, that all kingdoms must go down in order for God's kingdom to be established on this earth because that was God's intention in the first place, right? So it's going to happen. Whether, you're, whether you take the Titanic viewpoint or whether you take the prophetic viewpoint, it's going to go down one way or the other. Uh, I would advise this if you're one of the people who feels like it's not going to go down. Uh, I'd still prepare anyway. Is that all right? I'd still prepare anyway. Now, in the in the changing of history and the questions about uh, our uh, historical foundations, 
There's also, too, a lot of questions about the founding fathers. And uh, I, I've recently, and through this week, I spent a little bit of time doing some research uh, to some excellent websites and excellent literary resources uh, that relate to the founding fathers. And certainly, they, are not, they were not all saints. They were all people who believed in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They were people uh, a lot like society back then who were an admixture of people. There was, there was real Christians who were in uh, the early group of the founding fathers. There were people who were non-religious, and there was a bunch of people who were in the middle. It's kind of typical uh, of the times like it is in any particular season. They were all politicians. They were all men who were, uh, who were interested in the formation of the country and the survival of the country. And uh, as a result of the changes that were taking place and the oppression by the British uh, government, they got together in September of 1774 in Philadelphia, uh, and they met together for the first time, and they began to discuss the future of our nation. There were 13 states who were represented. Now, back then, they were not a country. Uh, they didn't even know each other. So the people from Georgia didn't know the people from Virginia and all the rest of it. This was the first time they had formally met in the room when they were there. And what was interesting is that when they met together, the first thing they did when they convened the first meeting in 1774 was to have prayer. Not unusual. But back then, their idea of having prayer uh, was a little bit different than our idea of prayer. Let me illustrate. So the Founding Fathers, and this is an article that was found uh, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, uh, which has recently been updated. And this is what their statement was. That the founders from similar religious backgrounds, they came from similar religious backgrounds. And most were Protestants, and the, there was a few uh, well-known ones who were Catholics back then, but just a handful. And the largest number were raised in either Anglicanism, like uh, John Jay, George Washington, and Rutledge, or Presbyterianism, like Stockton and John Witherspoon, or Congregationalism, which were the uh, main three uh, uh, churches in that time. Other Protestant groups included the uh, Quakers, the Dutch Reformed, and there was a smattering of others that were there. On the surface, most founders appear to have been Orthodox or right-believing Christians. In other words, they held to the teachings of their church, which were founded basically on, on uh, biblical doctrines, and again, now we're talking about 1774, okay? So denominationalism has changed quite a bit, and the churches themselves have changed quite a bit since then, right? I don't know if you've seen the article this week about the Methodist Church and how they've changed their policies. I'm sorry, I didn't send you that article on the, the recent changes in the Methodist Church. And if you don't think that John Wesley and his brother would have rolled over in the grave. They certainly would at the changes this week in the Methodist church. But back then, the founders uh, who were members of that church were considered mostly uh, orthodox. In other words, they, they held to the beliefs of their systems, and most were baptized. They were listed on church rolls. They were married to practicing Christians, and we know a fair bit about their wives and families. And they were frequent or at least sporadic attenders of services of Christian worship, and in public statements, most invoke divine assistance. So we know, uh, we know from their writings, and we know from their histories, and we know from their communications within their family. We know from documentation that was recorded back then uh, how, they, how they lived, what they believed, where churches they went to, uh, the things that they uh, endured because of the uh, pressure of the English government and all the rest of it. Even though we can't talk to them, 
We can read what they wrote, and we can see what was said about them. We can read their letters between husbands and wives, and so we know a little bit about them. Just like, for instance, none of you here have sat down and talked to Brother Branham, so you really don't know exactly firsthand what he believes. But yet we have the writings, don't we? We have the sermons. We have recordings of what he said. So we got a pretty good idea of what Brother Branham actually believed. You don't need to sit down and talk to him to find out whether he was a Trinitarian or not. Right? We know he was not. And so the writings tell us a lot about somebody, even if we don't have them here, in order to be able to communicate with them. So they started with prayer in 1774 when they got together in Philadelphia and they, uh, they, they sat down together. They, they did not just have a, now Lord bless the meeting, anoint what's said and done and may it be for your glory, amen. The first time they had a, a, a meeting, they launched into a two-hour Bible study. And uh, when, they, when they did that, uh, they really got uh, anointed to, uh, to study and to pray and they called uh, for a time of affliction and prayer during that first day of their meetings. And we know that because uh, John Adams, for instance, wrote to his wife Abigail, as he often did, on 16th of September, 1774. This is what he wrote. Having a leisure moment or a break while Congress is assembling, I gladly embrace to write you a line. Now remember, this is written in 1774, so the language is a little different. When the Congress first met, Mr. Cushing made a motion from South Carolina that it would be open with prayer. Then he read Psalm 34. I never saw greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven had ordained that psalm to be read on that morning. And after this, Mr. Deutsch, unexpected to everybody, struck out into extemporary prayer, which filled the bosom of every man present. I must confess, I never heard a better prayer or one so well pronounced prayed with such fervor, ardor, and earnestness in languages so eloquent and sublime. For him, he prayed for America, for Congress. He prayed for the uh, province of Massachusetts Bay, and especially the town of Boston. It, it has had an excellent effect upon everybody here. And I must beg you to read that psalm. It would be thought providential. It will amuse your friends to read this letter and the 35th psalm. Read it to your father, and I long to see my dear family sincerely, John. Take your Bible for a minute. Let's go over to Psalm 34 and 35. Now, they spent the first two hours of their meetings doing a Bible study and had prayer, and this is what John Adams wrote here. And in Psalm 34 and 35, they're very telling, and when they did the Bible study, they, they realized that David was talking about uh, being in a position of persecution and being under oppression. And the theme, as we find, we go through those two psalms, and you can take time to read them yourself, but this became a basis, if you like, of uh, you know the, the, the mindset or the thinking of the founding fathers as they met together to lay the foundations for our country. And they, uh, in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His mouth shall continually be in my mouth, and my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This is how they began, the Congress. Verse 14, depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. And the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are upon their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. This is the idea that, uh, you know, we, we feel like we're standing for right and the right cause, and yet we are oppressed by another nation. 35. 
Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me and fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. And this is their, this is their idea that in the fight we're in, we, we are asking God to stand up for us. We're asking God to take his buckler and his shield and stand and give help where help is needed. And then David prays in verse 4, Let them be confounded. Let the enemies of your people be confounded and put to shame to seek after my soul. Verse 5, Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. It's quite a prayer, isn't it? Let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause they have hid me their, uh, their net in a, they have hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he hath, uh, hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. Verse 18, and I will give thanks in the great congregation, and I will praise thee among much people. So in other words, the whole uh, Bible study that they had at the very first thing uh, they did when they met together in that, in that house of, of meeting in Philadelphia was to invoke God's help because, Lord, we're in a time of uh, pressure and persecution and we need your help. And we're not going to win this battle without you. We recognize that. You're being quiet. I, I wonder, are you impersonating today's Senate or today's House of Representatives? Because you can imagine what it would be like today if, uh, if somebody got up and said, all right, before we, uh, before we open up the house, why don't we have a couple of hours here just dedicated to Bible study and asking God's help uh, for the uh, blessing upon the nation. As a matter of fact, uh, back in that day, before, uh, before 1840, uh, the nation had officially and from the highest administration within the country had called for 1,400 different times when the nation was asked to afflict itself and pray. 1,400 times. The government officially put out uh, notices that on this particular day we want to have a day of affliction, humility, and prayer to ask God's blessing upon the country because every decision they made, every hardship they faced, Every enemy that pursued, they wanted to be sure that they had God on their side. They wanted to be sure that God walked with them. This is the nation, folks, that you are a part of. Okay? I'm not talking about Vietnam here. I'm talking about the nation that you're a part of. I'm talking about uh, this country here. And this is the foundation or the mindset of the founding fathers. There's a lot of people that want to make the founding fathers out to be a bunch of heathens and uh, anti-biblical people. We find that that's not true at all. They were all not believers. They were all not Christians. But uh, for the majority of them, the mindset of the time, or if we're going to build a foundation out of this country, and we're going to take these 13 individual states and turn them into a union and then begin to build on that, we are going to need God's help. Because we know we cannot do this alone. Number one, we have no navy. Number two, we have we basically have no army. Back in that day, contrary to how it is today, but back in that day, uh, when they went out and they began to assemble an army in this country, they would say to people in communities, they'd say, if you can come and recruit 20 of your people from your community and you bring them with you and join the army, you will automatically become a colonel. 
So that's how it was structured in the very beginning. They, they influenced leaders in the community and they said, you bring 20 people at one time and sign up and we'll make you a, a, a colonel in the army. So when you hear that, uh, you know, Colonel so-and-so uh, breached this particular, uh, with his unit breached this particular place and took the garrison of the British or, uh, you know, the Indians or whatever else, uh, that was really Farmer John and his neighbors who, uh, who came along and, and, and took that garrison. And these men were not trained soldiers like the British Army was. And so when they, uh, when George Washington wrote and, and many of the original leaders wrote and they said, uh, you know, based on, on the scripture, based on Psalm 34 and 35, we are a people who ought to give thanks because we saw what happened on the battlefield. We went out there with a bunch of farmers and a bunch of um, laborers and teachers and doctors, and we went out there and we saw how God delivered the enemy into our hands. We saw the great victories that we had, and we know this was not our ability. It was not our strength, and it was not our military might. It was the hand of God that stood for us. It was the hand of God that fought for us. And so they, they believed regularly in giving thanksgiving. They believed regularly in offering thanks to God. They believed regularly in taking a day. And in that day, they would have no servile work and they would have no entertainment. So there was no sports and there was no carnivals or fairs or, uh, you know, jam sales or yard sales. There was none of that. They would take a day where they would afflict themselves and pray and give thanks to God. Because they realized that every advance and every victory and every development they made was because God had been gracious to them. Here's John Hancock, who was one of the signers of the, uh, of the Constitution. And this is the literal writing that he put out in the state of Massachusetts in order to Commonwealth of Massachusetts back then. There's only one Commonwealth left, which is, which is Virginia. Uh, but back then in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Hancock uh, had implored the people on the first day of public fasting, humiliation, and prayer. This was not an uncommon occurrence back in that day. Can you imagine today going to Boston and telling the governor he needs to have a day of prayer? What did they pray for? Let's read a little bit of the proclamation here, if this is all right. I'm going to turn a corner, but I'm not, I haven't turned it yet, all right? A proclamation for the day of public fasting, humiliation, and prayer, whereas it has been the practice of the people inhabiting the territory of this commonwealth of Massachusetts, which was central in the very early years, from their first settlement at this season of the year, unitedly to acknowledge their entire dependence on the supreme being and to humble themselves under a sense of their utter unworthiness of his favors by reason of their transgression and whereas the practice appears to have a tendency to cultivate the fear of God and a due regard for his laws to confirm and continue, this is still the prayer request now, to continue the invaluable religious and civil liberties, number one, to pro prosper the university, seminaries, and means of education. In other words, bless our schools because in schools everybody learned how to read the Bible, right? That's why schools were established in the beginning. To cause industry, frugality, and all moral and Christian virtues to prevail amongst us. To bless the allies of the United States and particularly to afford his almighty aid to the French nation and still guide them into such measures as shall tend effectually to establish a government founded upon reason, justice, and the welfare of the people. And finally, to overrule all the commotions in the world to the spreading of the true religion of our Lord Jesus Christ in its purity and power among all the people of the earth. That was the invitation to prayer on a particular day in Massachusetts. I mean, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty righteous request. 
and to overrule all the commotions in the world so that uh, the message of the hour can be spread in true religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the governor now, from the governor down, imploring the people to take a day. This is what we're going to pray for. This is on the prayer request list. And anything else you want to add on there. But the only way that we're going to prosper is when we put God at the base and we include him in everything that we do. That's the only way that we're going to prosper. And that was the mindset of the early uh, leaders of our church. And so therefore, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just an incredible, uh, it's just an incredible development that they had in those early days when things began to, uh, when, when things began to be established, uh, in, in America as our nation here. So, uh, by 1781, uh, after that, uh, you know, the, the declaration had been signed. It actually was not signed on the 4th. They had to send off to New York. Uh, to get signatures up there, and then it came back to the House. But irregardless, if you want to hang on to the fourth, it's certainly fine, because that's when they met and ratified it. But nevertheless, uh, by 1781, there were, uh, there were there was hardships that America endured because of the embargo that the British government had placed on America. So there was a lot of things that the government of England said, well, hey, if you're going to act like that, if you're going to disassociate yourself from us, we're going to disassociate ourselves from you. And we're not going to uh, allow certain goods and products now to sail over, and, or you're going to have to pay a very high price in order to get those things brought over from America. One of the things that uh, were not allowed to be uh, brought over from England was Bibles. And uh, also, as well, even though the colonies had a very flourishing printing operation back then, there was lots of flyers and journals and uh, booklets that were distributed among the people, the paper to print that stuff was also from the British Isles. And so the, the British government prevented paper from coming over. And there were no paper mills in North America back then. So they could not uh, print, their own, uh, print their own materials. So in 1781, uh, the Congress decided that they were going to print their own Bible. And this Bible was endorsed by Congress. It was the Bible of the American Revolution. And there was only 10,000 that were printed at that time. And now they know there's only eight left in the world. And one of those is at the Museum of the Bible. As soon as I can, I'm going to, be, I'm going to get a bus and we're all going to take all of our young people up to the Museum of the Bible because it's definitely uh, worth going up there. But in the American section, one of these Bibles is actually in there uh, that uh, is, is of the eight that are left in the known world. It's, one, it's considered one of the rarest books in all of the world. Robert Aiken, who was a Philadelphia printer, and he was also the official printer of the Congress of 1781. Uh, toward the end of the war, he petitioned the Congress to approve the publication of a Bible. Now, that's a big deal. It may not seem like a big deal to you today. It still is a big deal. I work all the time in trying to get the rights to print the Bible in different languages and parts of the world. I, I, I'm actively doing that all the time, and it's very, very difficult to do that. So this was a big deal for them to do this uh, back in 1781, but in 1780. There was a group of congressional chaplains uh, who approved the execution of the printing of the Bible, and they actually did it, and then Congress recommended that Bible uh, to be uh, used and distributed around uh, the new nation that they were forming. So this was, a, uh, this was a big deal. But let me tell you something. If the Congress uh, were atheists and they were anti-Bible and they were heathens, they would not be going to this great expense and at length to actually endeavor to take the Bible and have it printed. Wouldn't you agree? So today when you hear things about the Founding Fathers, you ought to dig a little deeper because there's more to it than just that story. 
Now, uh, all right, let, that's, we'll use that as a preamble. Stay with me now. And I want you to watch what some of the founding fathers said here uh, about the demise of the country because they were concerned about, uh, you know, what would happen if there were excesses and what would happen if this happened or that happened. And they were constantly making changes in their laws to protect the nation as a whole. And this is what Samuel Adams wrote. He said, a general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of a common enemy. I want you to watch, take note of what the, this, this slide is and the next slide, and then we're going to go to what Brother Branham said. A general dissolution, a disregard of the principles and manners, the principles of Scripture and the manners of our country, will more surely overthrow the liberties or the freedoms of America than the force of an enemy. So we're not worried, uh, uh, Samuel Adams said, we're not so much worried about invaders. We're worried about the corruption within the country. As soon as the citizens of our country begin to disregard the principles of Scripture, we've got a more formidable enemy than some foreign force that lands on our shore. Are you okay? While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But when once they lose their virtue, then will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. How do you lose your strength as a nation? How do you lose your identity as a people? How do you lose a force uh, you know, of your unity uh, in times to come? You you begin, he says, when the people lose their virtue, they have a blatant disregard for the principles and the foundations that are laid down by the Bible. He says, then the nation becomes vulnerable to enemies within and without. Right? Am I making sense? Let's look at it. What This is said in 1850. Now, Reverend uh, Francis Grimke was the son of a slave woman uh, down in South Carolina, and he became a very well-known spokesman back in that day, and uh, this is what he wrote. Same kind of an idea. It is now no longer a question as to whether we are a nation or a confederation of sovereign and independent states. He said that question is settled, and settled once and for all by the issue or the outcome of the Civil War. So we are a nation. That's not a problem. We are a united nation, that's for sure. But if the time comes... If the time ever comes when we shall go to pieces, it will not be from any desire or disposition on the part of states to pull apart. In other words, it's not because states will want to secede. But it will be from inward corruption. Look at his words. From the disregard of right principles, from the spirit of greed, the narrowing lust of gold, from losing sight of the fact That righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14. It is here where our real danger lies. Now remember when this is written. This is 1850. He says, if we're going to go to pieces, it's not because some foreign army is going to come in and break us into pieces. It's because, rather, we'll have a disregard of right principles. I want everybody to say amen. Because that's really true. It is here where our real danger lies, not in the cessation of the states from the Union, but the cessation of the Union itself from the great and immutable principles of right, of justice, of fair play for all, regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. 
If we're going to break up, it's not because of an outside enemy. It's because we will have uh, disassociated ourselves from the righteous principles of God's word and of justice and of uh, you know fairness and equality and all the rest of it. That's how we're going to break to pieces. Look around, folks. And what you're witnessing is exactly this, where a nation now does not have the strength, does not have the victories, does not have the, uh, the financial might, does not have uh, the prowess within the world that we used to have. And it's because we have systematically learned to disregard and follow leaders that have led us away from the principles of right and scripture and biblical order. Isn't that right? Hey, say it whatever way you want to. You can say it in this language or you can say it in this language. It's still true. Don't you worry about Russia coming in and getting us. Russia ain't going to hurt us. We're hurting ourselves. It's our own moral decay that's hurting us. We're corrupting ourselves. Someone say that's exactly the truth. I still say what the world needs today is not a new president. It needs an old-fashioned St. Paul revival and the Bible Holy Ghost back in the church again. Sounds like Brother Branham kind of tapped into the mindset back there, didn't he? Because you know why? Because when the foundations are destroyed, how can the righteous survive? How can the righteous carry on You know, when the foundations are destroyed? Or if we get away from Psalm 34 and 35, where we implore God's help in everything that we do and you know, invite his presence and say, Lord, strap on your shield and take your sword and come fight for us. And let the angel of the Lord go before us and destroy our enemies. And all the other things that, uh, that they prayed, that David prayed for back in Psalm 34, 35. And here we are living in a nation where, uh, there's absolutely a disregard. And, uh, like that senator, I played you a little clip of that senator, uh, who made the statement in hearing, uh, a couple of months ago where he said, hey, the, the introduction and the, the mention of the Bible has nothing to do with this hearing whatsoever. You remember that? I played that little clip for you. So we've come from a nation that was established like that and what they have prophesied and what Brother Branham is telling us is that we've come to where we are not because of an external enemy but because of the corruption that has struck inside. Now, let's say this. I'm not trying to motivate any of you to get out there with with an American flag and stand on a bridge and wave it over the top and, uh, you know, Trump 2024. Uh, I'm not trying to inspire any of you to do anything like that. But I'm saying this, that in your own life and in your own community and in your own family and in our assembly right here, I believe that every one of us, not just me, but every one of us, and not just parents, but I believe young people as well. Every one of us have a, have a responsibility to hold up the right because that's the way you remain strong. And we as, a, we as an assembly right here, we will never grow and prosper. We never be able to continue to do the things that we're doing all over the world unless there is a strength at the foundation. Unless there is a strength at home, we'll never be able to stand and change the world for the better. We realize we're not going to change governments and change politicians and all that. And that's not our goal. That's not our, that's not our, where our energy is. But our energy is, if God has sent a message in this last day, I think we should do everything we could to propagate it, to print it, to spread it, to, uh, you know, empower missionaries all over the world and to do whatever we can to have this message reach people so it can change their lives and prepare them for that kingdom. Because I believe anyone who's a citizen of that kingdom is going to be a better citizen than this kingdom because they're standing for principles that are right and true and solid. And I believe that we're coming to the place where the only light that's left, the only love that's left, the only things that are solid are left are the people that have a sane mind 
and are not affected by the thinking of this world and to be able to have, uh, you know, a, a moral order about them and a virtue about them that the world really is losing sight of day by day. Am I okay in saying that? Hey, listen, we celebrate our, you know, we celebrate our birthday here. And, uh, you know, as a proud American that I am and I'm glad to be one, it's more than about eating hot dogs and other things that are, uh, you know, injurious to your health. It is a whole lot more about recognizing. And as a matter of fact, when they, when they passed the laws back there about July 4th and the Independence Day, they actually did say that this should be a day of holiness and a day of worship rather than just a day of feasting. Can I go one more little further? One more little historical quote, and then we'll bring you right up to speed here. John Quincy Adam, who was the sixth U.S. president, he was asked this question. As a matter of fact, he asked the question, and he answered it himself. He was invited as a keynote speaker in Newbury, Newburyport, Massachusetts, in 1837, which was the 61st anniversary uh, of the Declaration of Independence. By the way, when the 50th anniversary of the Declaration came, uh, the uh, governor of New York invited the only living signer of the Declaration. They all had died after 50 years because the average lifespan uh, back then, back in that day in 1776, was about 35 years old. And so there was only one founder, one signer left 50 years after the declaration was actually signed in 1776. And the governor of New York invited him to come to New York and write on their copy of the declaration. They had a, a real copy that was signed. And they wanted him to write his observations after 50 years. He was an old man by then. I don't remember his name. I can get it for you. Uh, but he was an old man. And they wanted him to, to write down what he observed. Did what you envisioned back then come to pass? Did did what, you, uh, did what you plan come to pass? Has, uh, has the goals and ideals of the founding fathers, has it been lived out over the last 50 years? And he simply wrote on the Constitution. He took his pen and he wrote and he said, I thank God for all that he has allowed us to do through the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all that he wrote on that Constitution that day. But after John Quincy Adams uh, became president, he asked the question of his audience. He asked them this question, and then he answered his own question. He said, why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated uh, festival remains on this day, on the 4th of July? Why is that the, the only two really sacred, uh, because Thanksgiving hadn't been passed back in John Quincy Adams' day. Are we all right? Some of you are saying, wow, did, were there actually people who lived back there? Yeah, there was. Uh, uh, just trust me on this one, okay? And if you don't believe me, ask my wife afterwards because she never says anything that's out of the way. But he says, how come that the only two and the most religious holidays that we have in our world are July 4th and Christmas Day? What's the connection between the two? And what's the relevance of those two? And why are they considered the most joyous and most venerated festivals in all of our year? That's the question he asked the people as he was speaking in Newburyport uh, in Massachusetts. What a strange name. And he answers the question, and this is what he says. It is, not that the, it, it is not that in the chain of human events the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. It forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. You can read on the rest of the, the quote there. The reason that they're so inextricably linked together is because each event formed a platform for the progress of the gospel dispensation now. Now think about this for a minute. That when Jesus came and was born on the earth, don't read the rest of it here because you won't be able to follow it and me at the same time. 
listen to what, what I want to tell you. That John Quincy Adams said that when Jesus was born on the earth, he established what, are, what were then known to be Christian principles, principles after the word of Christ, right? And the principles of Christ. Forgiveness and, and uh, uh, justification and all the other things that, uh, that he, uh, he promised. And, you know, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Real true liberty for the sons and daughters of God. And so it began something. It began something that was never seen in the Old Testament. It was a plan of redemption that was based on grace through the shed blood of Calvary's cross, right? But it was not the end of something. It was the beginning of something. And now they needed to build on top of that. And the scripture tells us line upon line. And Paul even writes about in ages to come how that God would add to this. And and, uh, it would grow into a bride tree. We know now it would take 2,000 years to grow into a bride tree. But it had to have a foundation. And the foundation, come on, was the birth of Christ. So John Quincy Adams draws the connection. Here's where I'm going to turn the corner. He draws a connection between the birth of Christ as a foundation for something great as 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 the new birth, which is the beginning of something in a person's life, because now we're going to add Christian principles on top of that, and a person becomes a new creature in Christ. Just like the nation, which is birthed on July 4th, it, it is not the end of the nation, but rather it's the beginning of the nation. And if the nation is founded on Christian principles, guess what? We're going to have to build on that and build on that until we become a bigger and a stronger nation in years to come. And if we want to be a stronger nation and successful in our plight and in our cause, John Quincy Adams says, we're going to have to build on this nation Bricks that are made of solid things, just like the Christian faith is built of solid things through the ages. Am I making any sense? Am I speaking in English to you this morning? So John Quincy Adams says the reason why these two events are heralded as the most sacred events in all of the year and times of worship and times of thanksgiving is because they both represented a beginning and they both represented a foundation of Christian principles. And in order for us to be successful, you're going to have to grow and build on the words of Christ or it's never going to, it's never going to become anything, right? And we see now in our nation where when you start to take away the bricks that our founders have placed there, you become a building as shaky as any other shaky building in the world. You become a structure now that is certainly to be doomed when the wrong situation occurs. Brother Branham says it like this. When a man is born again from heaven, he becomes a spirit babe in Christ. That's not the end of the journey, folks. That's the beginning of the journey. For those of you that have been baptized recently, uh, you know, it's, it's not the, it, it, once, you, once you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and once you surrender your heart to him, and once the Holy Spirit begins to take residence and begin to express itself, that's not the end of the journey. Just like a newborn babe doesn't stay that way forever. It now begins to grow. It now begins to become what God intended it to be. Right? And so when a man is born again from heaven, he becomes a spirit babe in Christ. And when this robe of flesh is dropped, there's a natural body of theophany that's not made with hands that we go to. So from the beginning right to the end, there's a, a, a principle at work. And he says, here we are formed to the word image. We're feed on the word being predestinated since the beginning. 
And you see that little spark of life that you had in you from the beginning, and then you started on your journey. America also started on its journey, and you as a believer start on your journey as well from a little spark or a start that begins. And many of you can remember it. You joined this church, joined that church, you try this, try that, nothing satisfied, but one day you just recognize it. Isn't it true that our nation was founded by people who were dissatisfied in one place and came to another place? Right? That's how our nation began, with people that felt like they could not thrive and prosper in Europe and other parts of the world. And so they got on ships and came to an unknown land without any infrastructure. I mean, there was not even, listen, there was not even any Walmarts back in that day, but they came anyway. And when they came, they, they, they lived and they built from nothing there, and they started. It was just a spark of life. But they came because... There was a dissatisfaction here, and there was a problem here. There was a persecution there. There was a war here. Uh, there was trouble here. And so they said, all right, we'll never prosper. Our children will never grow and prosper in this place. So they got on the ships, and they came across, uh, just like many immigrants do today, and they came across to America and began to establish things in our land. But they knew, the founding fathers knew, that if we're going to grow and we're going to become anything that's solid, and if we're going to last through the ages, we're going to have to build on solid, more solid principles than just the hate of the country we left. Just a sense of dissatisfaction of where we came from. They're going to have to build more uh, on more solid things than just that. Because a lot of people, and let me tell you, if a bunch of you people got, uh, you know, uh, disgruntled with me and went off and started a new church, you'd last about three or four months saying, yeah, what kind of a rotten guy was Brother Barry and he did this and he did that. And after a while, you'd run out of things to complain about. You better have something to unify you then because it'll just peter out into nothing. Should I not have just said that? Well, let me tell you something. That's the way it always happens. And so the founding fathers realized we, if we're going to build this nation and we're going to make it strong, we're going to need to have a declaration of independence. We're going to need to have founding documents that unite us as a people. But those documents are not just intellectual compositions or essays uh, that are derived from other uh, nations picking and choosing, but rather we're going to go back to the basis of Scripture and we're going to look at what God intends for a nation, a righteous nation, and we're going to build on that. We're going to add in other positive things from other countries but we're going to build on that and let me tell you america is the only nation that has lasted hundreds of years with the same constitution and the same declaration more than any other nation on earth and you know why i believe that is so i believe that is so because god allowed it to be so because he was invited into the process at the very beginning now, again, I'm not trying to get you motivated to change, your, change the world around you. Hey, if, if you want to do it, it's up to you. But I'm saying this, that in your household, in your own house, in your own apartment, in your own place of residence, I believe that you should establish this as a household for God. This is a place where God is welcome. This is a place that whenever we make decisions and whenever we decide to do anything, it is because we have invited God to give us guidance in the first place. And if we as a church, if we're going to prosper and continue to do anything at all profitable in the kingdom of God's eyes, I believe that we're going to have to continue to do the same thing and to invite God to come and help us to have the right leadership and the insight and the inspiration we need to follow His path because His path is the one path that's going to lead us out of here. It's no good for us to be doing work all over the world if it's not the will of God. It's no good for us to be spending our resources on, on, on things that, uh, in the world, if they're not needed and if God's not interested in it. Hey, listen, everything we do, we want God to breathe on it. We want God to bless it. We want God to put His hand on it. We want God to take it and prosper it. Not so that we become something, but rather because the whole body is blessed. 
you folks that sing, sometimes you sing, nobody sang this morning, but we, we, uh, some of you people that are gifted with the ability to sing a special, I believe that you're given that gift not just to entertain yourself in the bathroom when you look in the mirror. I believe you're given that gift to be able to minister to the body of Christ. I believe that we're given those gifts to be able to minister to the body because God will use songs and God will use music and God will use things. But let me tell you something. God's not going to, God's not going to reach down and take you by the scruff of the neck and stand you up here and say, sing! There are some things that God's put in us that He wants us to use. There's training that God's given you that He wants you to employ. There's things that uh, God's placed that are within you that are not within me. There are things that you have, abilities that you have, and ways to minister to one another and to the body that I don't have at all. And I will tell you what, I believe it's God's will. I believe it would be pleasing to God for you to use it. I believe it would be pleasing for God to you, for you to use the gifts and talents that God's given you. I believe that for some of you, uh, you know, you feel like, well, hey, I can wait a long time until I get serious, you know, in serving God, and I can live this kind of a life, and I can do this, I can play this, and I can wander around and do this. Hey, listen, we live in a world where things are changing very quickly, and we live in a world that is vastly different than what I described in the early part of it here, when our nation's leaders sought God on their knees and in Bible study and in prayer and in affliction and in fasting. That's the way they were. Our nation's leaders are not like that. And so therefore we are as vulnerable to the winds of strife and judgment as any other nation on earth. Sometimes you see those things happen. They strike quickly there. Hey, listen, Brother Branham's telling us here, you didn't wander in here by chance. You didn't just all of a sudden get lucky one day and wander into the right church and find the right God and find the right formula for baptism and find the right answers and find the right message. Hey, that was a stroke of good luck on your part. Not so. It was God who ordained you from the foundation of the world and led you to where you are. Just like I believe that God led those founding fathers to come together on that day and begin to put their hearts and minds together and say, oh, we believe that we're called for this purpose. I believe that you are also called for this purpose as a member of the bride of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I believe we have responsibility and an obligation to let our paths be sure in the eyes of God. And let me, let me say it like this, and let me just illustrate it very briefly here for you, and, uh, and take note here that I believe that without the new birth, <clears throat> we would remain just like the old man, the old nature that we were born into, full of disobedience and anger and falsehood and dishonesty. But the new man, obviously there's a transformation that goes on and he becomes a man of righteousness, a man of holiness and a man of obedience and a man who expresses the real love of God because Jesus Christ now becomes both the author and the pattern of things in the future. How many would agree? And like Paul said, we know henceforth now no man after the flesh. Yea, we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We had him on earth as a, as a physical pattern, as a physical being here, but we don't have him anymore in that place. He says, but yet now we henceforth know him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things are passed away. You know why? Because now there's a process at work at you and it's not based on imitation. It's based on transformation. I said, there's a process that's ongoing in you, and it's not based on imitation. You're not looking at the man Jesus and walking like he walked and dressing like he dressed and speaking like he spoke. You're not doing it by imitation. You're doing it now by transformation. Now there's something on the inside that's transforming you and changing your mind, come on, and changing your thinking into what Jesus Christ has predestinated you to have and to be 
all the days of your life. Are we okay? So therefore, I believe this is true. That we should not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a complete change for the better. The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at your mind like this. The, renewing, the renewed mind is a very extraordinary thing. And I'm not going to dwell on it this morning, but I want to leave you with this thought. That the renewed mind, if you like, imagine this, the banks of a river. The banks of a river are not the river. But the banks of the river are necessary for a river to flow through. If you're going to have, a ri- if you're going to have anything flow, it's got to have a channel through which to flow. The renewed mind. Remember now, remember now, that's Satan's territory that's been given to him by God. But I believe greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world, right? And I don't believe that you need to give in and let Satan have complete control of your mind. I believe the battle's on. Hey, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to allow God to transform our mind that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are we okay? So think of your mind as the banks of a river that allows good things to flow through it. So that's why Paul writes, For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, and we put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Here's the way Brother Branham talked about Jesus. He was the true and faithful witness to God's eternal word. He was the word. Being the word, he was also a prophet. For the word of God flowed through him. And he was to say, I can only do that which the Father shows me. Not me that doeth the works, but the Father that dwelleth in me. Look at Jesus then and what he's describing. My thinking, my ambition, my actions are really like the bank of a river. There's something flowing through me. There's something actually passing through me that is the will of the Father. I can do nothing within myself but that the Father shows me. And the word of God flowed through him. And I and my Father are one, and my Father is in me, said Jesus, the man, the tabernacle. Can I take it one screen further? Two screens, one quote. By faith in his word, he conquers. By faith in his word, we can conquer anything. Both death, hell, and the grave. By faith in his word, we can conquer anything. Say anything with me. Anything. I mean, I'm only saying what he said. We know that God is God. Perfect faith in God's word. He conquered everything that he came in contact with. Death, sickness could not stand in his presence. Flowing from him was like rivers of virtue going out constantly. Virtue coming, going from his garment. These people laying in the shadows, they put their finger on his garment, they were healed. When that woman done that, remember that woman with the blood issue, and she just, she just, you know what she does? She puts her hand in the river. She puts her hands in that flow. It's not the garment, right? There was no virtue in the garment itself, right? My garment is finer than his garment that I'm wearing today, my garment's finer. 
It was not the garment itself, but she put her hand in the river. Come on. She put her hand, what was flowing through that vessel, and she dipped into something there, and she tapped into a virtue that he had because he was like banks of a river. The, the virtue of God, the healing power of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God was flowing through him. Do you believe that? And, and, and she recognizes that. She doesn't understand all the different, uh, you know, meanings of all of that. But she just reaches out. If I could touch him, Hunter, if I could just touch him, my goodness, I believe something would flow to me that I don't have. And I can't get that from anywhere else. I spend all my money on physicians and healing and, and uh, uh, essential remedies and everything else. I can't do it. But if I can just reach in and touch the flow that goes through him, my goodness, what can happen in my body? Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, that woman had faith to believe that there was something flowing down that little river that was there. Brother Bram said when that woman done that, he said, then everyone, are you ready for the next screen? Everyone wanted to touch his garment because they seen there was virtue coming from him constantly. Flowed like rivers. And there he was walking, walking in a world with perfect faith because he was the word. And now, and now, I, again, now I'm reading what Brother Branham said here. And now, if ye abide in me through him, he brought the word to you and my words abide in you. Then walk in the same kind of a way, virtues flowing from you. The rivers of God's fountain of blessing just flowing out to the people. Did I read that right? If ye abide in me and I abide in you, then when you encounter people that have a need, when you encounter people that need counsel, when you encounter people that need a word of encouragement, when you encounter one of your children that need a healing touch, you don't need to wait to come to church here. Let me tell you something. You've got, if, if, if you're living the Christian life, let me tell you, you're like the banks of a river. It's not you that has the virtue. It's not you physically that has the virtue. Children, it's not your mother's dress or apron that has the virtue. It's what's flowing through her is what you want to tap into because we recognize each other as believers, as members of the body of Christ. Isn't that right? Let's stand to our feet. I'll tell you what, I'd like to have our musicians come and uh, I'd like to be able to pray together. And I'll tell you what, I'd, I'd like for us to be able to interact with each other and lay hands on one another and pray that God's virtue would flow. Because if you have a need this morning and someone's got virtue flowing, you want to put your hand in that river. Right? And, and, and if, you, if, if there's a, a, a real need in your life, let me tell you something. There's, there's virtue that's not far from you at all. It's close to right where you're sitting, right to where you are. And what you need to do is reach out in faith like that woman reached out to Jesus. And she's not, it's not the physical man, Jesus. She's reaching into the what's inside the banks of the river. And she's touching that flow of grace and of healing virtue there. And something happens to her. We're talking about the same spirit, folks. We're talking about the same spirit that dwelt in him is the same spirit that dwells in us. Do you believe that? This is not just dwelling in Brother Branham and St. Paul. This is not just dwelling in the, in the ministry. This is rather the grace of God and the spirit of God dwelling in individuals. And what you need to do is have faith of who you're in the presence of. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Not perfect individuals by any stretch. But I'll tell you what. We are saved by the grace of God. We are victims of His grace. We are recipients of His grace. And we are blessed beyond measure because of who we are and who lives inside of us. Remember, it's not me you're touching. And it's not your, your friend that you're, you're touching there. But rather, it is that reaching in to touch that virtue that is there. That God flows through you as a believer. Virtue is flowing from you. It's flowing from you. The rivers of, of, of the God's fountain of blessing just flowing out to the people. You know what? 
in our country, in our country, we need righteous people who will stand for righteous things and hold true to them when they go to Congress. I mean, it'd be really nice if that happened. It'd be really nice if our church leaders held to that, right? You look at the churches one after the other falling like dominoes and the Methodist church all, you know, sanctioning uh, homosexual marriages and all uh, going back on all of the things that they once stood for. And the leaders that, that, that uh, you know, uh, preached it and died for it. And the followers that lived it and held on to it and died for it. Can you imagine them standing up in the judgment and meeting those people that, that, that want to come into heaven and living that way? And leaders who decided we're going to go this way. We're going to follow the ways of Sodom and we're going to do it. Imagine what those believers would have to say. Tell you what you want to do. You want to stand back and don't get in their way. Imagine what they, the ones who laid down their lives and spill their blood for the righteous principles of, of, of biblical truth in that day. And now look at where it's gone today. What we need is church leaders that stand for truth. What we need, uh, let me tell you, saints of God, what we need is believers who believe the message of the hour and are unashamed to stand for the principles of truth. That are unashamed to lay down their sports and their other activities and say, hey, Sunday is the time when the church doors are open and I'll be there because I put God first in my life. Don't do it because I said it, but do it because there's a pulsation inside of your heart in a renewed mind that says that God's virtue comes first. God's life comes first. God's word comes first. Let me tell you, when you begin to act on that, your mind becomes like banks of a river and something is flowing down. That's the way it ought to should be. And it should not be at this age. It should not be just a trickle down the middle of the river. It should be a flowing river that displaces everything that doesn't belong. That's exactly what it should be. But you know, you got people that hang on to their ideas and people that hang on to their pet doctrines and their uh, cliques and all the other things like that. I say, hey, Lord, use me like you use Jesus. Flow through me like you flowed through him. You say, Brother Barry, we'll never lose our greatness. We're predestinated. I'll tell you what. I believe in predestination. I believe in those that are on the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm thankful for that grace that holds us. The holding power of Almighty God. But here's Brother Branham describing a country that was once strong, that once stood on a solid platform, that once stood for righteous principles. And look at where it's gone now. Because over time, you know what's happened? didn't happen in one day, but it eroded over time. A little thing here and a little thing here and a little thing there. And that's how every, that's how every professed believer goes down. It's not all at once, but over, over time, a little bit here and a little bit there. May God give us the strength to stand and identify Satan as he comes in a little here and a little there. May God give us all the courage, not only to preach, but to stand and, and, and convey and reflect and live the principles of Scripture before our young people that they would have an example to look to. Don't leave it all up to the preacher and don't leave it all up to the Sunday school teacher. Let me tell you, your kids will learn first and most from you at home. You say, Brother Barry, I can't live up to that standard. I know you can't. My goodness, I can't either. That's why, that's why we need to have a relationship with God. That's why, like those leaders back there, when they, when they went to Philadelphia, they said, hey, we can't do this. Let's appeal to God first. I know you can't. None of us can't. None of us are perfect. None of us are strong. None of us have all the answers. But we serve a God who does. We serve a God who does. I'll quit. I'll quit. What are we playing here? I'm not ashamed. 
of the darkness who shall I fear if God be for me what shall we say to these things what shall we say to these things I'm not afraid anymore I'm not afraid afraid of the darkness whom shall I be if God be for me and what shall we say to these things and what shall we say to these things and I'm not afraid Let's sing that this morning here. Let's make this our theme here. I'm gonna make it. He's already said that I would. And I'll keep on trusting that He's working everything for my one more time. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm gonna make it. He's already said that I would. I'll keep on trusting. Everything for me. I could and he walks beside me and heaven is in my view oh, I gonna make it through Switch it to D. I have a maker. I have a maker. He formed my heart. He formed inside me. I was in 
knows my name, sing it again now. Back in 1776, the rules were like this. Whatever faith the king was of England, whatever religion he was, he dragged everyone in the commonwealth with him. So in other words, if he was an Anglican, Anglicanism then would become the faith of the commonwealth, of the kingdom. Everybody would have to be an Anglican. They got Anglican Bibles, Anglican songbooks, everything was Anglican. So in other words, the ruler of the world dragged everyone in the world his way. That's what that meant. And if he, a new monarch came and he was a Catholic, everyone would have to switch to Catholicism. And you had no choice because you were in the world. The American pioneers stood out and said, we'll no longer do that. We believe by God's grace you've set us apart. We're not going to follow that. But we believe we're going to follow the dictates of our conscience and we're going to establish our own nation over here. That's politically. But listen, listen now to what I want to say. We live in a world where the whole thing is going a certain direction because the rulers of this world are moving into the tribulation. And you know what? Everyone's going, except for 144,000 Jews, but everybody's going. God has said, but I want you out of that parade. I want you to stand aside because you're not going there. You're going to another place. The American settlers experienced opposition because they withstood the superpower of their day. You and I also experience resistance because we oppose the direction of this whole world. It's going down to tubes and you're not going with it. So God has predestinated you to step aside from that, but there's opposition, there's pressure. So in saying that America has sinned away its day of grace and has lost its position like the Titanic, Brother Brandon said, is going down, that doesn't apply to you but we live in a world where it's happening all around us. We live in a world where there's fears, there's the unknown, there's the economic uncertainty, the social changes, elections, everything that happens is all going on around us here. You're not meant to go down with it, but you know what? We're still here. And we're still Americans, right? So your job is to resist, but in a resist in the way that Christ would. And that is to be a witness for another kingdom that's better than this kingdom. And a, and a haven of rest that this world knows nothing about. And you're the witness of that. And that's why God wants to develop your mind like a transformed mind so he can flow through you and minister to other people and uh, to, to, to bring healing, to bring light, to bring peace, to bring joy, to bring a message to people. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take your mind and make it a renewed mind. I hope that makes sense to you today. I hope I've portrayed this in a way that makes sense to you. And I, I, I trust that it will. But I believe this, that, that if there's virtue in any, any of us, then what, what we should do is just allow other people to, you know, we, we are a source of virtue and strength for each other. We, we, are, we are certainly that. Because that's, that's what we're called to be, is to be, you know, to minister to one another and to be a strength to one another. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. Let's sing that this morning here before we pray.
Sing it again now one more time. to somebody you can just lay hands on them just do that this morning just hold your requests there believe now it's not the person now it's not the person that you're touching it's the virtue in them that you're tapping into that's what's important Heavenly Father Lord we are known as believers Believers believe the things that the Bible states. Believers believe the things that prophets bring. Lord, within ourselves, Lord, we realize there's no good thing. The thing that we have going for us is that we can submit our mind to you to be transformed so that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And now, Lord, we're inviting you to flow through us that the healing virtue of Almighty God might flow to each one. And Lord, you might bring healing and peace, answers, strength and encouragement to each one as we reach our hands into that river of virtue that flows to the body of Christ. Lord, have your way now, we pray. Answer prayer. Bring, bring solutions, Lord, where they're needed today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, Father, you administer to those that are may be listening today that need a touch from you. And Lord, they're reaching out as well. Father, we know it's not the physical thing we're touching, but it's the virtue of God we're tapping into. Granted, Lord, I pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, may it be a solemn occasion for us to be thankful, Lord, over all the years and the freedoms and the blessings we have enjoyed, the liberties and the prosperity that America knows. But, Lord, we know that it all happened because of your grace, 
because, Lord, of the dependence of the founders upon you and not only the signers, Lord, but those that helped build this nation, gave of their energy, their lives, fought in wars, stood for the right. Lord, here we stand on their graves and we stand, Lord, upon their works. May we never take that for granted, but we give you praise for what we have enjoyed. Bless the balance of our day. Bless our fellowship. Father, we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. And amen. Sing it one more time. Oh, heal me, oh Lord, and I I will be saved. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be for you are the one you to remember a little assembly in your prayers that you don't know. They're assembled in Cardiff, Wales. My wife and I had a dear friend, Brother Roger Caudry, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. And he he was struggling with cancer that they had just found, but he had an, an aneurysm that caused a heart attack and he died suddenly. And he's pastor of a little group over in Cardiff, Wales. It was a real shock to them and his wife, Anna, who we've known for years, very dear people, very wonderful people, just have a little assembly, just a little group of people, and they don't have a pastor now. And I would ask you, if you don't mind, just to remember them in prayer. They're, his service, his funeral service is being broadcast today. It's, it's not, in England, they're still not having public gatherings, but his service is on today. And... Brother Mequi in Scotland is doing the service. But if you don't mind, I'd just ask you to remember his wife, Sister Anna, and the family and the little group over there. It'd be a tough thing in the last days, you know, just as you're going into, into deep waters and lose your pastor. That'd be a tough thing. So I just ask you to remember them. Just trust that the Lord will minister to them and give them the strength and the, the person who needs to lead them in the way they should go. I sing praises to your name. We're going to let you go this morning, and may God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday. Brother Mike Holloway will be here ministering on Wednesday night. May God bless you as you go. Thank you all for coming today. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh. To be praised, I sing praises to your name, O Lord, praises to your name.
Praises 